Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, <clears throat> beginning at verse 1, says these words. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching this morning, as we continue uh, what has morphed into a series on calling clarity, we want to talk about being approved but not accepted. Approved but not accepted. Early in our lives, a lot of our attention and focus is really given toward just having a good time. When we look at the example of our children, wherever they are, they just want to have a good time. They don't really care about where they are, who's there, what's going on, what the program is, what the format is, what else is supposed to be happening. Wherever they are, they just want to have a good time. But then as we get older, we begin to turn our attention toward being a part of a good time, which a lot of times is associated with being a part of a group that appears to be having a good time. These are those late elementary and middle school years where the priority for our lives shifts from being able to have a good time by ourselves to needing to be included in other people's good times. And a lot of the, those years are focused on, guided by, directed by a desire to adjust ourselves to then be acceptable to these other people so that we can be a part of the perceived good time that they are having. I think the plan and the process for maturity would carry us through this space of needing to be accepted by other people to find fulfillment 
into the place of understanding that we are approved for fulfillment. That our very existence today is a sign of approval by God that we are supposed to be here and that there are opportunities that we will have while we're here to be able to make a difference in the world in a way that helps to bring fulfillment in our lives. Such that when we lay our heads down to sleep at night, we don't go to sleep with the regrets, regrets of what we didn't do that day, but we can lay our heads down with a sense of accomplishment because we have done what we know the Lord has approved us to do with the time that we've been given. But unfortunately, in the society that we live in today, not to say that this has always been the case for humanity, but definitely in the society that we live in today, too many of us get stuck with a middle school mindset where we are unable to celebrate and find joy in what we have been approved to do because we are still seeking the acceptance of other people and people groups. Where when we wake up in the morning, our priority and energy and effort in, and attention is given not to preparing ourselves to do what it is God has approved us to do for the day but where our time and our energy and effort is spent trying to make the adjustments to our lives so that we will be accepted by the people that we encounter on that day. And today it is my hope and my prayer that from the example of Jesus that you find some liberty and some freedom from the opinions and perspectives of other people. That you will stop chasing acceptance and approval by people over seeking to please the Lord and do what it is he has already approved you to do. Here's the thing. Approval by God doesn't always mean acceptance from man. Doing the things that God has authorized you to do sometimes will result in people that will accept you and support you in that process. Oftentimes, however, if you do what God is calling you to do long enough, you are eventually going to get to the point where God's plans for you are contradictory to the plans that other people have for you and where being approved by him is not going to result in acceptance by other people. That's because, of course, the kingdom of God in many ways operates contradictory to the way that the world operates. In the kingdom of God, you love your enemies. In the world, you try to destroy your enemies. In the kingdom of God, you forgive people that have done you wrong. Where in the world, you seek vengeance against those people that have done you wrong. In the kingdom of God, we oftentimes have to put our desires and wants to the side where the world tells us that our wants and our desires and our happiness are the most important things in our lives. The kingdom of God regularly operates contradictory to the way that the world operates, and that's why we have to be intentional about where our focus lies. 
Because when our focus is on proving ourselves to people, we will always come up short. One, because what we do will never be good enough for some people. It doesn't matter how much time, energy, effort, thought. It doesn't matter how much it costs, how much we invest in it, how much we prepare. At some point, something that we have to give will not be good enough for somebody. We spend all our time, attention, and effort trying to prove ourselves to other people. We will always come up short. Many of us have spent way too much of our time either trying to prove something to somebody or diminishing our light because somebody can't understand and accept us. Our lives are guided and governed by what others think about us and how others respond to us. And we rate, we waste the resources that the Lord has given us in places and spaces and on people that don't care about what we have to give. Beautiful thing about our text today is that Jesus clearly didn't need to prove himself to anybody else. And that's because he knew that he was already approved and accepted by his heavenly father. And so his life bore witness to the fact that the opinions of people were secondary to the opinion of his heavenly father. And for many of us, we would find a different level of peace. We would find a different level of fulfillment. We would be able to hold on to a different sense of clarity. We would be better stewards of our time and our resources and our talents and our energies. And we would find more joy in life if like Jesus, we took the opinions of other people and put them to the side and prioritize what the Father thinks about us and what we do. When we walk in the evidence of God's approval that is in our lives and focus on aligning our lives with his will. Now, you may think to yourself, well, that's easy for Jesus to do because he's the son of God. But the thing that I love there are so many things I love about Jesus. I feel like the last couple of weeks, every week is something new that when I say the thing I love about Jesus. But one of the many things that I love about Jesus is that Jesus was just a regular dude. Verses 1 through 3, we see the reality of Jesus' humanity. Verse 1 says, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath... He began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and, uh, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? Here's the crazy thing. By the time we get to Mark chapter 6, Jesus has already built a reputation in the region for being something special. But Jesus isn't walking around in priestly robes every day. Jesus isn't walking around on the backs of his entourage. 
He's not sitting on a throne and people carrying him around everywhere that he goes. Jesus is walking around every day dressed like everybody else in the same places and spaces where everybody else goes. So much so that when he performs these miracles, the people that saw him grow up look at him and are like, why this dude? That's how present the humanity of Jesus was. His humanity was so present and visible that people who saw him grow up had trouble seeing his deity because of his humanity. And that operates in such contrast to the spiritual elite that we have in society today. And that's one of the things that I love about Jesus is that Jesus was a man of the people. Outwardly, in the way that he carried himself, in the way that he dressed, in the way that he walked, in the places that he went, there was nothing to indicate that he was any different from the people he was serving. He was real. Just like you and me. People bumped him in crowds. People stepped on Jesus' feet. People cut him off while they were racing donkeys down the Jerusalem road. They didn't know it was Jesus. I was about to make a Jesus take the wheel joke, but I'm going to be mature today and preach the message. (laughs) If Jesus was walking around today, Many of us wouldn't even recognize him. And the reason that I know that to be true is because many of us don't recognize him when we look in the mirror. We keep expecting something grand and grandiose. We expect Jesus to manifest in our lives like he does in the paintings from the Renaissance. We really believe, we see those paintings, and we really believe that when Jesus was walking around, that he had this light, this strange light that was shining from behind him everywhere he went, that there was some glow on Jesus all the time where everybody just knew, well, this is the Son of God. No, Jesus was a human just like you and I. He fully experienced the life of humanity in how he lived which makes the standard that Jesus establishes for us attainable. Because if he did it and he did it, he does so so that we will understand that it's possible for us as well. That's why here at Church on Purpose, we are less concerned about what you wear when you come to church and more concerned about whether you iron the wrinkles out of your heart with his word. There is a very clear distinction that Jesus models in the scripture, in his humanity. Notice that the end of verse 3 says, after all of this and asking all these questions, the scripture says that they took offense at him. Now, it's very clearly stated so that we understand that Jesus in his humanity is not running around offending people. 
but the way that he lives and the standard that he elevates before them causes them to take offense at the way that he lives and what he preaches. They took offense because Jesus was exposing their complacency. See, the rub in the relationship with the people that knew Jesus and the new Jesus that they see when he comes back to town with his own entourage, the rub and why they take offense is because the transformation they see in Jesus is challenging the status quo for their lives. It is challenging the level of comfort that they have arrived at. And this isn't just about where they live and where they go and what they do, but it is comfort in their relationship with God. Because understand that John the Baptist and Jesus, they pop up after what's called the silent years, the intertestamental period. That's the 400 years of inactivity between the events of Malachi and the events of Matthew. This is a 400-year period of proverbial silence from God, where after thousands of years of raising up prophets to tell the people what God thought and what God wanted, God stops raising up prophets. And after thousands of years of God revealing himself in new ways to the people, God stops revealing himself in new ways to the people. And so for 400 years, the Jewish people have settled into a, a, a comfortable routine for how they interact with God. And now Jesus pops up on the scene and begins to disturb and disrupt what they have come to find comfort in. Now understand, 400 years is a long time. 400 years is probably about six to seven generations of a family. 400 years, to put it in context, America itself, so when we take the totality of American history, American history, not North American history, but American history, United States of America, it's only been 247 years since the colonists declared independence. That's a long time, though, for us. 400 years, we just, uh, a couple of years ago, recognized, commemorated 400 years since the first enslaved person from Africa set, shore, set foot on the shores of America. You take the horrendous legacy of slavery and the difficulties of black people here in America and take all of that and realize that's only been 404 years. Now imagine God being silent that long and the kind of routines and religion you can build because God ain't saying nothing new. And Jesus steps on the scene and he begins to disrupt that by showing them that interacting with God is not about the religion, but it's about the relationship. It's not about what God does for us to make us comfortable, but it's about how we partner with God in order to advance his mission and his will in the earth to transform the lives and the hearts of men and women. It is uncomfortable when people in their authenticity and in their humanity show up and show us 
that it can be done differently and be done better. And that's, that, that's, that's the real rub because all these people from Jesus' hometown are like, wait a minute, this dude grew up in the same place we grew up. He played the same places we played. He drank water from the same well that we drank water from. He sat outside the same synagogue that we sat outside. We know where his mama lived. We know when his daddy died. We know all his brothers and sisters because they still running around. They ain't went nowhere. This that dude that literally just left like a year ago. And now all of a sudden he came back and he has this wonderful insight into what our heavenly father wants that is so fresh and brand new that nobody else has been able to share. Who, who is this guy? And who does he think he is bringing all that stuff back here like he better than us? Y'all know, y'all experienced it before. Some of you fight the same battle with your family on a regular basis. And I think that's why Jesus, why the Holy Spirit leads Mark to incorporate this story into his gospel so that we would understand that the experience that we have as the Lord is growing us and advancing us is very normal. Like it is expected that as God grows you and grooms you, that people that aren't growing with you would become, would develop some kind of animosity towards your growth. Because your growth is exposing the lack of growth in their lives. And if people can't be with you or be better than you, they definitely don't want you being better than them. And so Jesus lives out the reality of his humanity, but then in verses 4 and 5, we see the restrictions of the familiar. In verses 4 and 5, it says, And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Here's what's interesting. In those days... When they came together in the synagogue, scripture was read, and then either the reader or another attendee was asked to share a message. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue that day by invitation. This is important because Jesus doesn't just show up again with his entourage thinking that he's so much better than everybody else and demand the platform. These people voluntarily invite Jesus to share what Jesus wants to share. You ever had a situation where somebody asks you for something, you give it to them, and then they get mad because you gave it to them better than? <laughs> that, that's what happens in the text. The people invite him to share, and then when Jesus shares, they're like, whoa, dude, like, you're just going to come in here. And just teach that better than me? The truth is that they probably picked Jesus, and this is all assumption. Please don't assume. That you ain't going to find this in no commentary. This is just Jonathan reading the text and thinking the things that Jonathan thinks as Jonathan is reading the text. But I wonder if they picked him because they were thinking to themselves, 
Oh, he back now. Let, let's see what he going to say. Sometimes in life, people will provide you with opportunities in hopes of exposing you. But God has a way of using that same opportunity to expose them. They thought they was going to invite Jesus, this guy that they've known his whole life, and ain't never really been anything special. They thought they were going to invite him up there and he was going to stumble all over his words and mess some stuff up and mix some stuff up. And Jesus gets up there and blows it out of the water. Which now, in turn, exposes their hearts. Because clearly at this moment, what the father is saying to them is not the priority. Now what has supposed to be an opportunity of equipping has turned into a moment of competition. And now that they have started trying to measure themselves up against Jesus, now they start trying to diminish his light because they don't want him to be better than them. So they have to acknowledge the fact, hold up, this dude is actually pretty good. But since he came from the same places that they came from, how can he be better than them? It is their opinions of you that make it comfortable for them to remain stagnant. See, they start going down the list of where Jesus is from and who Jesus' family is and all that kind of stuff to validate for themselves why he ain't no different and no better than them. And why he shouldn't be celebrated and lifted up for doing a phenomenal job in what it is that he does. Here's the thing. Crabs are cool being in a barrel until one of them decides to climb out. You ever find it interesting that people don't have no problem with you until you decide to do something different with your life? And it's because you deciding to do something different exposes the fact that they ain't thought about doing nothing different or if they've thought about doing something different, that they haven't demonstrated the courage to go out and to try something different, which means that you have more courage than they do, and they don't want to be seen as being more fearful than you are. And so then the reaction is to then try to tear you down and to try to pull you down and to try to drag you back into who you used to be and to try to limit you by who you used to be and how they used to know you and where you used to go and what you used to do and how you messed up before so that they can feel good about themselves still not doing nothing with their lives. When you start showing up different and they don't understand the God that is working in your life, the real problem is that they now have to face the reality that they haven't tried or been successful in growing and acknowledging the need for them to be better. Here's the thing. Godly growth makes stagnant people uncomfortable. That one more time. Godly growth makes stagnant people uncomfortable. God refuses. Here's why that matters. Because God refuses to release his healing power where there is fundamental rejection of him. It's in the text. Jesus has been able to heal 
He's been able to cast out demons. At this point, he has even been resurrecting people from the dead. But he gets home with the people that knew who he used to be. And remember where he used to run around and remember when he didn't listen to his parents. And he can't do the same things with them because they refuse to believe that God can work through this person that they know. And here's the real sad part about that. People that can't believe that God can work through you don't believe that God can work through them. People that deny the work that God is doing in you deny the work he's doing in you because they really don't believe that he can do work in them. And that's why we have to be careful about who we surround ourselves with. Because our capacity for belief directly relates to what God does in our lives. It's not just a New Testament principle. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elijah visits the widow whose sons were getting ready to be taken by a creditor. Her husband had been a prophet. He was, of course, the breadwinner for the family. He dies. Creditor comes back and is ready to, to collect, and she don't have nothing to give. All she has is her two sons, who obviously aren't old enough to be able to be out there working and earning income to be able to pay the creditor. And so the creditor says, all right, you can't pay me. I'm going to take your kids then. And so when Elijah meet her, meets her, she lets him know that the creditor is preparing to come and to take her sons. And so Elijah asks, well, what do you have? Because here's the thing. God only works with what you have. He never asks you what, for what you don't have. When God is getting ready to do something in your life, he only does it with what he's already given you. Because what he's given you is enough for him to do what it is he's preparing to do through your life. So stop waiting on stuff you don't have to do what God is already asking you to do. If he's asking you to do it, he's already giving you what you need to be able to do it. The question is, do you value what it is he's already given you? The widow is there, and she tells Elijah the only thing she has is this jar of oil. That's all she got. And so Elijah tells her, okay, God can work with that. He can take that jar of oil that you have, and he can solve your problem. So he tells her, take the oil, go around and gather, gather as many vessels as you can. Bring them back inside. Lock yourself and your sons inside and then begin to pour the oil in the vessel. And when that one's full, pour it in the next one. And as long as you keep on pouring, as long as you got vessels to pour in, the oil is going to keep flowing. And then you can take that, sell that, pay your debt, and then have some to live on. And you know what happens? The lady goes and she gathers pots from all her neighbors and her friends, puts them in the house, and the Lord performs a miracle with the oil that she makes available for him to, for her for her to use. And she pours the oil, she fills the vessels, it's enough to pay off the creditors, so now she doesn't lose her sons, but remember, that doesn't really solve the problem. That solves the emergency. 
The problem was that her prophet husband had died, so she didn't have a source of income. So the Lord not only provides for the emergency, but he solves the problem by blessing her with more so that she can sell that and have money to be able to live on beyond the emergency. But here's the thing. God only performs the miracle according to the capacity that she made available for him to do the work in her life. And that's why we got to be intentional about the people that we surround ourselves with, because if we submit ourselves to the people that don't believe in us, then they will limit us from having enough jars available for the Lord to pour out all that he desires to pour into our lives. So that the amount of faith that we need to do what it is he's asking us to do. If we need 20 jars of faith. For the Lord to pour that faith into us so that we can do it. If we hanging around the wrong people. We're going to show up with only 10 jars of faith. And then we can't figure out why God didn't perform the miracles in our lives. It's because our capacity to believe has been diminished by the selection of the people in our circles that are spitting in our ears. Her miracle was based on capacity. This is why it's so necessary that we commit to a community of faith and grow and build relationship because some of the things that God wants to do in our lives are being restricted because we've adopted the limited thinking of our circles. It ain't that God can't do it. It's not that God hasn't already wanted to do it. But it's that we have not made room for God to do in us what God desires to do in us. There were people in Nazareth on this day that had lived with sickness and brokenness for years and have been asking God to do something to heal them, to free them from that. And then Jesus shows up and because of their lack of belief in what God was doing through him, they missed out on what they've been asking God for all this time. And too many times we allow the negativity of other people and the short-sightedness of other people, whether they're people that are related to us or our friends or our family or our co-workers or our, our friends from neighborhood friends from back in the day, whoever it is, people that knew us before we surrendered our lives to Christ to limit what God desires to do in us today. And God is saying, yeah, I might not have been able to do it through you back then. But who you were back then has no bearing on who you are today. And if I'm asking you to do it today, then obviously I know that you can do it. Because God's not going to ask us for things that we don't have to give. He's not going to invite us to do things that he hasn't equipped us to do. And too often, especially in our community, as black people in America, we allow the opinions and the perspectives of those that we relate to to hinder what God is trying to do in our lives. And it's extra crazy when you consider the fact that some of them ain't even trying to do anything that pleases God. And we out here trying to do what God wants us to do. Somebody who don't care about God's opinion tells us that, no, nah, we can't do it. And now all of a sudden we can't do it. 
because the God that created the universe with the word said yes, but some dodo down the street that can't keep a job for three weeks said no. Just because people know your story doesn't mean they know your future. Just because people were in it with you when you were doing those things that you're trying to forget doesn't mean that they understand your ceiling for what is possible in your life. Jesus' example is beautiful because regardless of where he was born, regardless of what his vocation was, regardless of who his brothers and sisters were, Jesus knew that the purpose of God was in front of him. And so it didn't matter what anybody had to say about what was behind him. Because here's the crazy thing. Everything that was behind him obviously got him to where he was right now. And if the Lord is inviting you where you are right now to go where it is only he can take you, then obviously those things that are behind you were necessary to get you where you were so that you could get an invitation to go where he's trying to take you. But short-sighted people will always try to restrict us and limit us because if we take the limits off their lives, then they have to look at us and say, why haven't I taken the limits off of my life? The other teachers that were in Nazareth had to evaluate for themselves, why isn't the Lord speaking to me like this? And it's always easier to tear somebody else down than it is to do the difficult work of building ourselves up. But it's that very laziness that puts people in a position of complacency. And we really have to do some intentional evaluation about the people that we spend the time with, y'all. Because God is still waiting on some of us to check boxes that he put in front of us a year, two, three, four years ago that we haven't checked because we keep believing and listening to the people that are around us that aren't pushing us toward what God wants for us. If you change your circle, you'd be surprised at how it can transform your life. So we see the humanity, the reality of Jesus' humanity in verses 1 through 3 and 4 and 5. We see the restrictions of the familiar. The fact that they couldn't believe resulted in the fact that God was limited in what he was able to do among them because God isn't going to waste what he has to give on people who don't believe. God ain't trying to prove nothing to nobody. That's why he doesn't perform miracles on demand. It's not that God doesn't have power to perform miracles. But it's because a lot of the times when we're asking for miracles, it's because what we're really asking God is to prove himself real. And God is like, you got to believe that I'm real before I perform a miracle. Because your belief in me is not going to be contingent on me doing what you want me to do. Because then when I don't do what you want me to do, then you're going to stop believing in me. So the belief has to precede miracles. 
That's why Jesus is only able to lay hands on a couple of people and help them to be healed. Because out of everybody there, those are the only people who actually believed that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus wanted to do more. Jesus could have done more had the people believed that more was possible. Let me pause right there to say, I keep telling y'all that God want to do some really great things through church on purpose. But here's the reality. God will only do through us what we are willing to believe he can do through us. The ceiling on what God does through this church is the collective faith and belief that we have in what God can do. He would do no more than that. And so how big are we believing for what God wants to do? In the middle of all of this, Jesus provides a perfect example for how we respond to situations where people don't want to accept what God is doing in our lives. In verse 6, we see the release of limitations. Verse 6 says, and Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Give me these short verses in the Bible that's really funny to me. Because the way that they are recorded, I think is reflective of the way that Jesus navigated the moment. I don't think Jesus spends a whole lot of time moping about the fact that people don't believe him, that they focused on his past and not his future. I don't think Jesus spends a whole lot of time on that. I think Jesus is like, oh, wow. This is really sad. <laughs> All right, where are we going next? Think about how much of your life you have spent evaluating and reevaluating yourself based upon the feedback of other people that you know ain't mean you no good. Jesus demonstrates for us in verse 6 the release of limitations. He's trying to help a village to benefit from what he had already been giving everybody else. This is the crazy part, yo. Jesus gets baptized, goes into the wilderness, comes back, stands up in the synagogue, reads from the scroll, goes out, starts performing all these miracles, is walking all over the place, and finally is like, you know what? I'm going to take what I got, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be a blessing to the people that were blessings to me while I was growing up. And he gets there, and they don't want what he has. So Jesus is understandably shocked when they reject him because they're rejecting the very same thing that crowds of people everywhere else are tripping over literally to access. In chapter 2 of Mark, Jesus heals the paralytic man after his friends literally ripped the roof off the building to get the man in front of Jesus. That's how deeply they believe that he could do something. In chapter 3, there were so many people that were following his teaching that when he was teaching along the shore, he had to tell the disciples to get a boat because if he didn't have a boat, then the people would be pressing against him so much that they might crush him. Those many people, that many people, saw potential and saw possibility and believed in what he was doing. In chapter 5, 
We read about the woman with the issue of blood who for 12 years had a problem that nobody else could solve, whose faith led her to say, if I just touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And she does it, and it comes true. She has faith that even if she just touches this dude, that he will heal her, and it happens. And this is the same kind of stuff that he tries to bring to the people that he loves, and they reject him. He wanted to do so much more. But he could only feel what their faith made room for. And it hurts sometimes when you know that what you have is a blessing and a benefit to the people that you love and care about, to the people that you came up with, to the people that you've been responsible for, to the people that you see potential in. And it hurts when you try to give it to them and they reject it, but it ain't your responsibility to make them accept it. You can present them with the opportunity, but that's all you can do. And you can't spend time crying over spilled milk. You can't spend time crying over people that have rejected what you have to offer. Because for every rejection that is out there, there is somebody that is waiting on what it is you have to give. God didn't place the gifts and the calling and the purpose in your life to waste it on rejected people that were rejected. He sent you here for the people that would accept it. And we spend all our time moping and crying over the people that rejected it, not realizing that that is God's protection from from putting us in situations to waste what it is he's given us. Some of y'all know it. It happens in relationships all the time. (laughs) You want to be with somebody so bad, and they rejected you, and you cried about it because it hurt you. Until you saw what happened with the relationship they got into after that. And then you had to stop and thank God that he protected you from that dodo that wouldn't have known how to take care of you and look after you anyway. That God preserved you and protected you from wasting your time with somebody else. And so often with the gifts that God has placed in us, we cry about the people that won't accept them, the people that won't acknowledge them, the people that won't provide opportunities for them. And God is saying, that's because that person isn't going to steward what I put in you, but there are other people that will. And we got to stop wasting our lives chasing the acceptance and approval of the people that we want to be accepted by and walk in the approval of the God that already accepts us. And know that he will lead us to those places where we can utilize what we have been given in the way that he designed us to use it. The reason Jesus is able to, to release the limitations is because as we've been talking about, and this is what gets us back to the theme for this particular series about calling clarity, the reason Jesus is able to release the limitations is because Jesus begins his ministry with a superior level of clarity about what he's supposed to be doing. So that if he wasn't clear about what he was called to do, then it would have been easy for Jesus to lose grip on what he needed to do and resign himself to the small box that everybody else had placed him in if he wasn't clear. 
But when Jesus' journey got tough and the enemy most assuredly tried to plant seeds of doubt in his mind, Jesus had his declarative statement of approval from the Father that released him from the limitations of his family, his followers, and his fans. He would read from the scroll in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When you have clarity like that, then you can reflect on and understand your existence. And then you don't have to chase the acceptance of people because you already know that you are accepted and approved by the Father. So rather than crushing his dreams and breaking his heart, Jesus does exactly what he would tell his disciples to do when people don't want what you have. He knocks the dust off his feet and he keeps it moving to the next town and the next town and the next town, giving what he's been given to people that actually want what he has to offer. A church family that is here to support you in becoming everything God has created you to be is far more valuable than I think many of us realize. And we are blessed at Church on Purpose to have a collection of individuals who look at you and see the potential and the possibility in you. Who, when you reach out to pursue your dreams, are going to encourage you and support you not only with their words, but with their practical investment in you. A church family that is going to uh, help promote your business and help promote your nonprofit. A church family that is going to call you and encourage you on the days that they know it gets rough. So stop trying to prove your worth to your family. You are approved by God and accepted by your church. Stop trying to validate your existence to your haters. You are approved by God and accepted by your church. Stop trying to justify your dreams to your high school homies. You are approved by God and accepted by your church. Stop trying to confirm your calling with people that have never done anything but abuse you and because you are approved by God and accepted by your church. And if they don't want what you bring, then bring it here. If they can't see it for you, bring it here. If they can't support it for you, bring it here. Because here, you are not only approved by God, but you are accepted by these people. With what God is calling you to do, what he is inviting you to do with your life, we see it in you. If we don't yet see it in you, we will see it in you. And when you decide to fully commit to what it is God is inviting you to do and walk in the fullness of his calling for your life, we got your back. Because Jesus in his ministry prioritizes the family of the kingdom over every other relationship. Why? Because in the kingdom family, we all live with the same insight and foresight. We all live with the same understanding of purpose. 
in the fact that the same way that God saved me, poured his spirit out on me, gave me visions of what he wanted to do, God has done the same for you. In some way, shape, or form, God has placed within your heart a vision for how this world can be better and better reflect his glory. And the responsibility of the church is to equip you to be able to do it and cheer you on while you're out there doing it. And this community will never change if we keep taking the vision that God has given us and compacting it and pressing it down and making it smaller to fit within the tiny opinions of irrelevant people. God says that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. And I think if we're honest with ourselves today, we ain't been dreaming big enough. Or we have cut off parts of our dream because of what other people have said. And we have felt a part of us die with every dream that we have let go of. God is saying, no, dream again. Dream big. If I put it in you, I plan on getting something out of it. And it doesn't matter what people, first of all, people who don't even have a relationship with me have to say because they don't know what I'm doing in you anyway. It doesn't matter what your family and your friends have to say because they don't know what I'm doing in you anyway. They might know you for who you were, but I know you for who you were, who you are, and who you will be. And I know that if I'm asking you to do it, I'm only asking you to do it because I already see you doing it. The only limitation on what God can do through us is the limitation that we will accept with a limited belief. The fact that you are breathing right now means that God has approved you for use in his kingdom. Whether other people accept what God is doing in your life or not is irrelevant. God is working in your life and you are submitting and surrendered to him and seeking him and building and deepening that relationship. Then you've already been accepted by the one that actually matters. How crazy is it? Knowing who you are that God would still accept you to be the one that gets to represent him to the world. <laughs> I don't know you when I'm around when I'm not around you, but I know me when I'm not around y'all. And the fact that God would have enough grace and enough love and enough forgiveness to be able to overlook the faults of Jonathan and still give me the opportunity to tell people about a man named Jesus. 
Doesn't matter how other people try to disqualify me. If the Lord gives me opportunities, then I'm already accepted and approved. You have been given what you've been given, not for yourself, but to give it away. And there are people that are waiting on what you have been given. And it is not an acceptable excuse to tell them that you can't give them what they need because somebody said something that hurt your feelings. Here's the beautiful thing about God, and I'm done. A lot of times we use the ways that we have been hurt. Well, let me say it like this, more accurate. A lot of times the enemy will manipulate the traumas in our lives that we have experienced to justify why we don't do the things that we need to do. When God is saying, if you would simply do what it is I'm asking you to do, the healing for the hurts that you're feeling is found in doing what I'm asking you to do. Part of the reason some of us are still struggling with the traumas of the past is because we haven't fully surrendered to the plan of God and in his plans are everything that we need, including the healing from the hurts that are holding us back. You don't get healed and then go do everything for Jesus. Jesus heals you as you are responding in living in obedience. So if you want to be healed, if you want to be free, if you want to be liberated, it's found in being obedient to Jesus. He's not finna leave you out here and clean all that stuff up and then be like, okay, well, you can go do what I'm asking you to do now. No, you go do it as the broken you that you are. You go do it with the reservations and the concerns and the fears that you have. You just get up and you go do it. And as you do it, he works in you. And as he works in you, he heals and restores and builds you back up and fills all the places that are broken. So that when you get ready to go to sleep for the last time, you can look back on your life and realize that through your obedience, he made you who you needed to be. Proved God by God, but not accepted by people, don't nobody care. It's not going to be a legitimate excuse on Judgment Day to say, no, Lord, I didn't do what it was that you asked me to do because some people said some mean things. Because some people lied to me and lied about me. And even though, Lord, you told me the truth and you told me I could do it, and, you know, those people told me that I couldn't, so it's not going to be an acceptable excuse. You are approved by God. You are accepted by God. And here at Church on Purpose, you are genuinely seeking God in your relationship, even though you might be imperfect. If you're genuinely seeking him, 
genuinely seeking to walk in his calling and his purpose for your life, you are accepted by us. And we got you. And if we need to cheer louder, let us know. But we got you. Because that's what it's going to take for us to not be like Nazareth. For us to only see God do a little, a little bit of miracles because all we had was a little bit of faith. Y'all ain't get up this morning with it being 12 degrees outside to see God do a little bit of stuff. We're going to go through this stuff, but we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep running around. We're going to keep feeling bad after we do bad stuff. <laughs> we gonna, and we're going to keep giving our money. We're going to keep dealing with people that we're trying to navigate relationships. If we're going to do all this stuff, we might as well get the most out of it that we can and believe God the most and shut the haters up and just do the work and watch God move. Whatever he's calling you to do, he's already approved you to do. Walk in that this week. And be who it is you know God is calling you to be. Throw the excuses out the window. Forget the excuses. Don't nobody want to hear no excuses. Excuses are like backsides. Everybody's got one and they all stink. Put the excuses to the side. And let's walk in faith this week. In knowing that not only can we do it, but that in his timetable, it's already done. So let's take that whole idea of, I don't know if this is going to happen. Let's throw that out the window. And let's start living like we know that it's going to happen. And walk with that courage. Father, thank you for blessing us with the opportunity to come and to worship you today, God. You are so good and so great, and we thank you so much for who you are in our lives and for all that you do. And we thank you, God, so much for the practicality of your word and the encouragement that it offers through the example of your son, Jesus, and how we can live lives in a way that honor you. We thank you for your intentionality, God, and how you guided the gospel writers to include these odd aspects of Jesus's journey and his experience to help us to understand the humanity of his time here and the connection that that provides to the very real world experiences that we go through on a daily basis. And you know, God, that in the face of all of the great things that you are calling us to, that too often we have a propensity to listen to the people that are around us and what they're saying about us more so than what you're saying about us. But Lord, help us to stop chasing the acceptance of other people and help us to live our lives to make you happy, to make you smile. Knowing that the simple fact that we are alive and we're being charged and challenged and corrected by your spirit is evidence of your approval for what it is you are asking us to do. So, Lord, help us to put the excuses to the side. Help us to stop blaming people from our past that are trying to hold us back. Help us, Lord, to stop focusing so much energy and effort on people that are bringing negativity in our lives. And help us to be intentional about surrounding ourselves with people that will believe with us what it is you're trying to do in us. That on the days when we can't see it for ourselves, they can see it for us. 
and they can remind us of your words when we have forgotten them. We know, God, that you are calling us to do greater things. But in order to see you do greater things, we know that you're calling us to greater faith and belief in you. Let us not limit your work, God, by our faith. Let our faith not be the ceiling of what you can do, God, but just the floor. To open the door for you to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine, God, help us to believe bigger this week. To believe bigger in you and to believe bigger in us and you working through us. You don't waste time. You don't waste resources and you wouldn't give it to us if you couldn't do something with it in us. Thank you, God, for this reminder today that whether we're accepted by other people or not, we're approved by you. And that's all that matters. We love you, God, and we thank you so much for the time that we've shared today. Continue to be with us. Bless us. Keep us, guide us, direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.